a super boss is a leader that really creates other leaders. A super boss is a leader that sees potential in others before they sometimes see it themselves. A super boss helps people accelerate their careers. A super boss generates and regenerates talent, really on a continual basis. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Did you know that you can bring ideas from Mind Valley into your business? If you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans, you can discover Mind Valley's business offerings so you can bring personal and professional growth to the entire company. If you are the owner of a company, you know that if you invest in your employees' engagement, happiness, and learning, it'll help the bottom line and impact the business positively. And if you wish your company was bringing these kinds of products from Mind Valley Quests, Mind Valley Mentoring, and all the learnings to be a complete high-performance individual in every area of your life, then you definitely want to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans to see how we can get started with working with you. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I'm your host, Jason Campbell, and the guest I have today, Professor Sidney Finkelstein, is the host of a brand new podcast called The Sidcast, and he has written a numerous amount of books when it comes to management, strategy, and really working with executives around the world from companies such as American Express, Bank of Montreal, GE, just to name a few of these major organizations. He is a professor at the Turk School of Business at Dartmouth College. He's a leader when it comes to strategy and leadership courses. Now, the ideas we're going to discuss in this podcast are really fun because he's written a series of books which are called Super Bosses. And so it wouldn't be a complete podcast talking about superhumans at work without really zeroing into what is a super boss? How can you become one? And what do you do as an employee as you want to reach this higher level of strategic thinking and operation when it comes to being a super boss yourself? Professor, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Jason. Looking forward to our chat. Now, Sid, you wrote the playbook for super bosses, and this is a fun term to speak about. So I wanted to kick it off just about, you know, what is a super boss and how is that different from a regular boss? So, you know, I've written a bunch of books, as you mentioned, about leadership and about great leaders that do things sometimes not so well and sometimes a little bit better. And as I was traveling really the world, giving speeches, talking to different people, I realized that one of the key questions senior executives kept asking me was, how do you ensure that we can uh, survive and thrive into the long term? What's the essence of that? And in some ways, that's the most important question for any organization. And I started to do some research on that question, look at people that had a track record really of generating and regenerating talent on a continual basis. Once I started to find some of these people and talk to them and study them, I realized I needed a word to describe who they were and what they did. And the word I invented, there was no such word in the dictionary, is super bosses. So a super boss is a leader that really creates other leaders. A super boss is a leader that sees potential in others before they sometimes see it themselves. A super boss helps people accelerate their careers. A super boss generates and regenerates talent really on a continual basis. 
And it's interesting because if I've looked at all the memes that I see on the internet, if I look at any social media posts of anything regarding business or, or leadership or business growth, there seems to be this whole movement against the word boss. Like I've seen the comparison saying like a boss is this, but a leader is that. Are we making a distinction between what a regular boss is and different than what is being labeled as a leader? And is a super boss different than a leader as it's currently being labeled? Yeah, that's funny because the word boss, I agree with you, has become a pejorative. People don't like it. And that's because you think about, well, my boss, my boss does this, my boss does that. But it's just a word. It means the person you report to. <laughs> and because so many bosses are lousy bosses, in fact, I think we have an epidemic of bad management, bad leadership around the world. When I start to talk about these leaders that are so exceptional, I think it's good to link it back to that word boss to remind people, you know what, it's a word. It doesn't mean you're automatically good or bad, it's what you do and how you manage yourself. So a super boss is a leader, but it's a leader that supervises other people. And I love that because I actually speak a lot about sales myself and I realize sales also gets a lot of bad rap. And I remember once I wanted to put sales consultant on a business card, people were like, oh, don't put sales. Nobody likes salespeople. And then I'm thinking about bosses and it's the same thing. Nobody wants to claim to be the boss. And it's almost like managers are trying to act in a different way that doesn't make them get into that position of managing other people. It's almost like they're evading the responsibility or not even acknowledging it. What are the negative repercussions we're seeing around this culture that's being super anti-bosses? It's actually a little bit immature when you get right down to it. Yeah, I understand that people like to run their own show and millennials are particular an anti-boss, anti-top-down hierarchical generation, which is all fine, but nothing gets done without effective leadership. Nothing gets done unless you have a great team. You could work as hard as you want. You work 24-7, whatever you choose to do. And yes, you'll accomplish some great things, but imagine what you could do if you were an effective leader of three, four, five, 10, 20 other people. And as you start to think of an organization, it could go into the hundreds and the thousands. So it's about recognizing that the key element that makes organizations work, that allows us to accomplish whatever goals we have, whether that's helping people do better or be healthier lives or make money if you're Amazon, it requires you to be good at leadership. And I'd love to dig into a bit of those skills of what make you step into that effective leadership. I have to admit, Sid, I've been in times where I've managed people and I'm so used to being just really good at getting things done myself that when I step into that role where I have to lead other people, I almost get frustrated when it slows me down. And I've not invested the time of kind of switching that mentality that I shouldn't be doing everything and I'm supposed to be managing people. What do you typically advise to people who are having that struggle from being in a position of being a doer to now having to lead and be a boss for other people? Yeah, Jason, that's really a great point because you're putting your finger on one of the places where we found a very high washout rate, a very high failure rate of new managers. Think about it. How do you get promoted to become a boss, to become a leader? It's because you were the best at something. You're the best coder. You're the best salesperson. You're the best marketing person. And it doesn't matter what it is. That gets you the promotion. When you now are supervising people that are, by definition, not quite as good as you yet, there is a natural tendency to say, well, I can just do this myself and it'll be faster. But that's a formula for burnout. That's a formula for not helping other people improve their game. And the truth is, the better your team, the better you're going to be. It's just common sense. So I, I think first range, first run managers, people are just starting to do this, who have been individual and great individual contributors before, they have to understand 
that while they might feel a little bit of discomfort in the short term, they're going to have a huge payoff by being a more effective manager of other people. These are other people that can help them become more successful. How could we paint a kind of timeline of what does that transition look like? Because I can think in my case, like I would get into, and I'm very guilty of this, like I would get into a place where I had to start training other people and then I would jump in and I'd almost be like babysitting because I kind of knew how everything was done, but I wasn't giving them a chance to learn themselves to their own successes, their own failures. And so I was kind of hovering and kind of keeping guardrails as opposed to letting them thrive and kind of figure things out on their own and being the best leader that I can be. And so the question I have here is really like, what's a projected timeline of the skills I need to nurture and seeing that switch between, oh my God, now I need to really train people that can maybe only do it at 80% of how good I could do it. But now I have this new possibility of having this team that's growing and now things are more effective. Is there a type of patience that's required here? And how long does that look like? Yeah, well, it's going to vary by person, it's going to vary by situation, but vary by, by, by company. But keep in mind that when you think about people that can only do the job at the 80% level of what you can do, that's going to be the case for a bunch of people. But what you really want is to unleash the potential of some people that will not do it at 80%, but will do it at 120%. And you do that by hiring people that are smarter than we are, that have different levels of creativity and experience. And you do that by giving them some leeway and opportunity to craft their own path. It takes a mindset. And can you do that for everyone? Well, there's a lot of people would find that really nervous. So I always say, you know, find the one or two people in your team that you think might have that potential to actually be better at this job than you. Or even if they're not better than you are, they're going to think about it a different way and extend or expand how you might be thinking about the work. And so you start to invest in the one or two people. And hopefully over time, you get more and more of those people that can do that. That timeline means starting right away with the one or two. It doesn't mean you have to wait a long time. And I think if you've been at it for you know six months and nobody is stepping up, then unfortunately, you might not really have the right people in the seats or your own style might be inhibiting them because nobody wants to have somebody looking over their shoulder and telling them, you should have done it that way, you should have done it that way. That's not a lot of fun. We know that autonomy is one of the most essential elements in making a job engaged, powerful, meaningful. And the truth is people work much more effectively and with greater loyalty when they really feel like they're contributing. So it's one of those stories where sometimes less is more and it's a bit tough to do that. But I think the pathway of finding the one or two people that you're willing to make that bet on early on and take up your role as, as teacher, as coach, as opposed to supervisor that says, do this and this and this. Mm, I want to dig more into this because you mentioned like teacher, coach. You also talked about how some people might not resonate necessarily with your boss style. And I wanted to dig maybe as to what are some of the essential things that someone can start nurturing within themselves to improve their leadership or super boss style? And what are some of the key skills they should be nurturing to become better as a boss? There's a lot we could say on that. I'll just give you a couple of highlights. One is on motivation. Certainly every leader, every boss needs to motivate people on their team. And we like to say, yeah, maybe they're self-motivated, but you can have the most self-motivated people in the world. Motivating them effectively is still the job of the leader. Sometimes it might mean stepping to the side. Sometimes it might mean enabling them. Other times it could be a bunch of different things. So for motivation, the two skill sets that are needed, and they're different, but you need both of them. One without the other is not enough. First, creating a culture of high expectations of performance. Average performance, mediocre performance, good performance, not good enough. Excellent performance is what you want. You have to model that yourself. 
You have to keep talking about that. You have to reward that. And you have to really be insisting that that's what it looks like. And you have to tell people what that looks like. You have to give them examples of that. And there's really no replacement for creating that kind of high performance culture. At the same time, you need to do the second thing, which I find a lot of leaders, a lot of managers are not very good at or don't even spend time doing. And that's inspiration. That's inspiring people. The best leaders I study, these super bosses, are exceptional and inspiring people to believe that they're the ones that could do it. You know, Ralph Lauren, one of the people that I work with and that I profiled in the book, he used to tell people on his team, we are the ones that set the standard. Other people, other companies will try to follow us, but we're not going to follow them. And he really believed that it was authentic and it motivated people and energized people. So if you think about this, creating hard driving performance-driven, high expectations culture and inspiration. If you only do one without the other, you're going to have a lot of trouble because if you just push people hard, 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 at some point they get, they get burned out. Somebody needs to answer the question, why am I working so hard? What is in it for me? And if you're just inspiring people, which we like that idea, and you're not creating that performance culture, well, you're going to have a lot of happy people, a lot of excited people, but you're not going to hit your targets and your numbers. You got to do both of them. You know, as you're saying this, I think a lot about what we do here at Mind Valley. I have to say, our CEO, Vision, actually does a really good job at that. And I get to see it through that lens that you just explained because he does always challenge our current level of performance. He's always setting very high expectations on everybody. And we're always doing these weekly meetings where we inspire everyone as to why it's important for what we're doing and really reiterating the purpose, the mission, like we're here to impact a billion lives. And like I would be in a group chat where someone would submit work, let's say a video edit for an episode we'd release. I would often see Vision be like, that wasn't good enough. We should be improving these. We should be doing that. And a part of me was like, wow, I feel like he's being harsh on people. And yet I know that everyone kind of rises up to the occasion and delivers exceptional work. As a leader myself, I feel like sometimes I felt like I didn't want to give that honest feedback of pushing that bar further because I think there was a part of me that wanted to not have the confrontation that comes from setting that high standard. Is this something common in people that are new as bosses to be hesitant towards pushing for that excellence because of a need to want to create you know, cooperation or, or being liked as a boss? When it comes to feedback, there's a lot of people that get that wrong. You can get it wrong in two different ways, by not doing enough feedback in kind of your example. But you can also do it by endless feedback that piles people, hits people across the head, and it's just so negative that they can't really respond to it. I've seen certainly both of them. You've asked about the former, and it's not about being liked or not being liked. People like to win. People like to be part of a successful team. People like to accomplish things. People like to feel fulfilled in their jobs. Well, they're going to get all those things if you help them get better. But it's not just feedback and feedback. You have to give them a reason why you're doing this feedback. And the reason is, let's say you're, you're on my team, Jason. I'd say, you know, you have unbelievable potential. Look at what you've already done. Actually, I would spend time talking about your career. I'd want to know where you want to be in two years and five years and 10 years. You could change that any day you want. So it's not set in stone. But if you were to tell me, okay, well, I want to be running my own business. I want to be doing this after three years or five years. We would get together and I say, well, here are the skill sets you need. Here are the things that I'm going to put you in a position to pick up and learn those skill sets. They're not going to be easy because they're going to push you out of your comfort zone. 
but that's going to be the deal I'm going to do for you. And of course, if I did that for you, you would feel tremendous loyalty for me because I'm looking out for you. And that gives me permission to say, you know, this is what you want. You're not really doing that. You're falling short here. This is what I want you to work on. This is how I want you to think about it. Or go talk to this person. People will be much more open for feedback if they think and if they believe that it's actually in their interest, in their own self-interest. And that's the key to providing effective feedback. Well, and it also shows that as a super boss, you're actually really caring about the other person's growth as opposed to just doing the thing for your own benefits and showing that you're not operating from a, a selfish place, but you're really doing it for a greater purpose that's rising the tide for everybody on the team. And I wanted to bring this one aspect, which I've seen that sometimes, like I've personally rose to a level of management within Mind Valley, actually, where I had to now lead a team. And I felt like there was some negative performance that happened in my behalf because I couldn't spend as much of that time on the specialized skill I used to be doing, which was sales. I now had to sacrifice that time and I wanted to invest it in managing the team, nurturing the skills and the career path for people on the team. And there seemed to be this, this kind of squeeze happening for me where I'm in the middle and the executives are still expecting a lot of performance from me as the role that I used to fulfill as a salesperson. Yet now that I have these extra responsibilities of running the team, I'm realizing that I need to shift my time into managing the team. And there doesn't seem to be as much visibility or tangibility on the time that I spend on doing that, even though I can understand that by nurturing the team brings long-term results. How does a middle manager become more clear on making sure they get to communicate more effectively how they transition into being a boss and not just a boss, but a super boss, which seems to demand a lot more time. Yeah, it does demand a lot more time. And what you're making me think of as well is the importance of managing up and down. You need to make sure that your bosses, the executives, understand what it is you're doing. And sometimes people say it's so hard to manage up and it is hard to manage up except for one type of person. And that is the high performer. The high performer always gets time on the schedule. I've never met an executive that's not interested in talking to the stars on their team. So that's a prerequisite to doing anything. You got to be good. You got to produce. You got to hit the KPIs, et cetera, et cetera. But if you do that, you're now able to talk to your boss, the executives, and go through your game plan. You want to involve them with it. Really what you want is some buy-in from them as well, maybe even some advice from them. And that way, they're more likely to become your partners. And that gives you actually a little bit more time to actually hit the results. The other thing to keep in mind is certainly spending time on team members and helping them get better is an investment. And I've heard from many people that have said, I don't have that time. I've got to do my job. And it's an investment, but an investment has an expectation of a return. The trick is to get that return investment as quick as you possibly can. That's why I said earlier, if you focus on one or two people that are going to be or have the potential to be stars, and then people start to see that and other people want to get that recognition, want to get those rewards, it starts to kind of snowball a little bit. But I've never seen a, a situation in a team. I've never seen it where when the team itself gets better, the boss of that team, the leader of that team also doesn't get better, also doesn't become more successful. It's actually an axiom of business. It's an equation. The only question is, is it going to happen after three months, six months, a year, 10 years? 10 years is too late. You're out of business. One year is slow. That's why look for those small wins. Look for some of those victories early on. And especially when you start as a manager for the first time, you want to spend time one-on-one -on -one with each person on your team sharing your vision for what it is you want to do and making sure you're involving each of those people so you understand what their path is and you look for that alignment so that you know what they want to do 
as they move forward in their jobs and you align that with your vision. So there are a lot of ways to accelerate that timeline. It tends not to be overnight, but that's what you're shooting for as quick as possible. And the thing that buys you more time is that effective managing up. That is a key point. I really appreciate you sharing that because the idea of how we were managing from people below you has to have that same amount of effort put on the executive team and on the higher management. And so for anybody listening here, we've covered a lot of important stuff where, you know, if you don't want to be labeled as that traditional boss, which is really like dictating and milking the people without allowing them to grow, you really want to be a super boss, which has a lot more characteristics of what we label as a leader, but you still have the responsibilities of growing the people on your team. The two key skills that I were talking here is really about being a teacher and being someone that also inspires. You want to be able to set a bold vision of high performance and inspire the people to live up to that and not just stay at the status quo because the idea of being liked as a boss by protecting your people is actually not allowing you to grow or allowing your people to grow. And when you're managing down by setting a clear vision of what you're looking to create, which is something that's already greater than what's already in place, by communicating that upward as well to your higher managers, your leadership team, they'll understand that you're in playing a long-term game with the aligned vision, with what the company is trying to create and you should be able to get that buy-in even if your performance dips a little bit if you were used to being the person executing and with a larger team now you're going to be able to multiply that effect and trust that this is going to happen could take three six months and we said a year but i think for the people listening here being superhumans they would do it under six months and what i wanted to do here sid is kind of shift it here about some of the more recent trends we might have been seeing like what role has the emergence of this whole generation we call millennials had on this era of bosses? And has it been good? Has it been bad? And are there differences we should be aware of? I teach MBA students as kind of my day job. And they have always been, I've been doing this for literally 30 years. They are between the ages of 25 and 32. And so that is the millennial class, as we call them today. And I've seen them change over time. I think what millennials are demanding now is exactly what more of us should be paying attention to. They're criticized for not wanting to pay their dues. They're criticized for wanting you know, that seat at the table and having a big impact. Well, I say that a little bit of impatience is not a bad thing. Why can't they have that seat at the table? Superboss leaders purposely, and I talked to uh, several of them about this, they'll give the high potential talent that opportunity to have an impact. But there's a second part to it, which is, they got to have that impact. They got to produce. Nobody gets tenure sitting around the table. Nobody has a guaranteed seat. And I think that's completely fair. And so you have somebody who's great, who wants to move quick, who wants to accomplish a lot, the so-called millennial mindset, go for it. We're going to give you that opportunity. But if you can't do it, we're going to find somebody else to take that seat. And I think that's an equation that works. The other thing about millennials that I think is really great is they're focused more and more on issues around environmental issues, sustainability. It's been a, a watershed change as I've seen the generation shift over time. And I think what they're doing is, and again, impatience has something to do with it. They're doing things that are helping people like me. I'm part of the baby boomer generation, which used to dominate before the millennials. And yeah, we were probably a little too patient. And I'm learning from young people. And I'm saying, I don't see any reason to be so patient. We need to change things. We need to accomplish things. We need to do things quickly. And yes, not everything is going to work well, but that's called learning. That's called pivoting. The lean organization mentality of entrepreneurialism is alive and well, and I think needs to enter our lives in a lot of different ways. So I'm a big fan of how millennials think. I come up against many executives, senior executives that are tearing their hair out of their head and can't understand how to manage them. And my advice is always the same. Be very, very picky. 
find the absolute best, give them the seat at the table and let them raise their game. And some of them are going to do it and it's going to be unbelievable what type of talent you have. And the ones that can't, there's plenty of others that could take that spot. Amazing. And I love that we had this great advice to give to the senior executives to really give that space for the millennials to take a chance, but make sure they also deliver on the impact. And that chance is not guaranteed. They need to earn their keep. And that's really important. I wanted to close this off, giving a perspective for someone who's in the workforce, perhaps not currently in a boss position, but aspiring to be someone that grows within the organization or someone that might be feeling stuck under a boss that doesn't have that super quality yet. What are some things that I could do as an employee who's within an organization that wants to thrive more, but I'm feeling capped by a boss that's just not at that level? Yeah, this is really important. You've got to manage your own career. You can't wait for HR to manage it or even your boss to manage it. You got to take ownership over it. And that means very importantly, finding those mentors, even those super bosses that are out there, whether you work in that company, whether it's someone you know from your own network, another reason to be networking effectively so that you have people to bounce ideas off of. I say mentors, but I also think peers, you can learn a lot from peers as well. I often recommend find a partner, a peer somewhere, whether it's your company, your organization or somewhere else, someone you met could be a friend, could be somebody you grew up with and check in with them once or twice a week, not once or twice every quarter, once or twice a week minimum and spend five minutes, it's not a long phone call, talking about, here's what I've been doing, tell me what's wrong with that, give me some advice, look for feedback, and then return that favor. So you could start to try to, it's kind of like, you know, you go to the gym to build up your muscles and be healthier. Well, you gotta create your own mental gym, your own kind of job gym when you're working. And that requires finding your trainers, your mentors, your super bosses, finding people to train with, and then actually training with them by not just sitting back and waiting for some magic pixie dust to fall on you, but taking control over that. I think anyone, everyone can do that. And I say one more thing, which is, I really do think if you look carefully, if you know what to look for, you can start to find some of those super boss leaders in your own organization. For example, the boss where as soon as there's an opening in that team, it seems like it's filled overnight. It's just very, very quick. And that's because people start to hear about that person. And they, and they say, well, if I work for Jason, it's going to accelerate my career. It's going to give me a great opportunity. So start to look for people like that and look for opportunities in any way you can to get known to them. And it might be as simple as asking for advice. It might be volunteering for a cross-functional team with your own boss or some such thing. And it might mean, you know, when there are internal jobs available, which they often are within companies, it's a standard thing, looking for people like that, that are the right bosses. You can't always choose your own boss, but that doesn't mean that you can never do that. So I put that on the table as well. Mm, I love that because it's basically you get your foot in the door within an organization that you might align with. And even if you're not matched with a boss, that's definitely giving you the career growth you were expecting. There are other departments you could grow into. So you can put in the work, learn the ropes, you can network and you can grow within a larger organization to still get kind of the inspiration by working under one of those super bosses that you can find through the grapevine by seeing these places where these positions get filled. Sid, thank you so much for spending some time with us here and sharing these amazing ideas when it comes to super bosses. And for people listening here, we covered a lot of things. For example, you know, the whole idea that boss is a bad thing has been labeled, I think, a little too extremely negative because the needs for bosses and people that are helping align the people, helping set that vision, push the people, motivate, inspire, is still a critical role within an organization and certainly within larger organization as you have more and more humans involved in the output for the company. And so when 
when you go and become a boss, you can choose to be a super boss by realizing that you need to transition from your functional specialist role and actually start investing more into the qualities and the things you should be doing as a super boss, which is really working on your team and working at communicating up as well. Skill sets such as being a better teacher, being a better coach are certainly key aspects of being a super boss. And there's so many more things that you can do as you invest not only in growing yourself as a boss, but growing your entire team so that the output from your department, your team actually starts going up as you invest more and more in their growth, making sure they are inspired and thriving for their best performance. I love how we touched about the fact that millennials may be a little more impatient and that can be a good thing. So if you're an executive listening to this, be sure to include the millennials at the conversation. Give them a chance to have a seat at that table, but make sure that they're delivering on that impact. And if you're just starting off and you're working with bosses, make sure that you look for the places where you can work with a super boss that is going to support you in your growth. And even if you're not, you can see that there's other opportunities within the organizations, but ultimately you are responsible for your own career growth. And so you're going to have to look at those places that you can really thrive, really grow, take that ownership, find a peer or a mentor that you can work with as you continue to push yourself to excellence as a superhuman and eventually possibly a super boss yourself. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And Sid, thanks again for being here. If you've enjoyed this interview, be sure to check out the Sidcast, an entire podcast by Professor Sidney Finkelstein, who's actually going to talk more in depth about all these ideas around leadership, strategy, and business growth. Sid, thank you so much for being on the show. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening in to our amazing interview between me and Sid here talking about super bosses. If you've liked the ideas from this podcast, be sure to subscribe, be sure to review and share with your friends who need to learn how to become better super bosses or that they can take charge of their careers and find a super boss that can help them grow as well. And make sure if you've enjoyed this content to pick up a copy of the Super Bosses Playbook as well as subscribe to the Sidcast, which is the podcast by Professor Sidney Finkelstein, and you're going to be able to go more in depth on these ideas. This has been your host jason campbell thanks for tuning in and until next time my name is jason campbell and this is superhumans at work a mind valley podcast sick of being upsold at gyms my guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.